Welcome to Amplify. We're the show that will help you take your message, whatever it may be, and get it out through social media, networking, and other marketing channels. Maybe even some that you've never thought of. Whether you're an organization, small or large business, or you just have the next positive message that's sure to go viral, you'll want to stay tuned this hour. Now, here's your host, Ken Rashawn. Welcome to Amplified. This will be my very first show I've done, visiting a dentist before the show and having that lovely numbing sensation. So I hope I don't drool during the show. <laughs> um, I am very excited to be coming back from Dallas. We had a great event with Eric Swanson, Habitude Warrior. Got to speak on stage and share about the Keep Smiling movement. And Andrea, what did you think of that event? Oh, well, first of all, I got a lot of, you had to leave because you had another event you had to get to, and everybody said, wow, Ken did such a great job, and you just got all kinds of kudos, so you missed out on all that love and attention. It was pretty awesome to um, to see uh, how everybody was so excited that uh, your, how much your heart was into the Keep si Smiling movement, so I'm glad I had, I'm glad you asked because I wouldn't have had the pleasure of uh, boasting for you. <laughs> Well, I'm trying to win an award for the most humblest person, so if I hear that stuff, it'll feed my <laughs> ego, and now you've just ruined it because you shared it with me. So, All right. Well, we'll hypnotize you so you forget it then. <laughs> so I, this was an amazing event because when Eric – Eric has had these Habitude Warrior events for quite some time. I'm not sure how many years, but we've had the pleasure. I've gotten to speak on his stage several times, and he brings really amazing speakers. And the kind of people that are on the call today would be – really great speakers as well to be added, but the audience is there to learn how to shift their attitude and shift their, their habits, and hence habitude, and we have a great connection, Tim Connors, who's going to be doing the 34th Keep Smiling book, Frank Shankowitz, who is coming out with his book next month, and the two gentlemen are in the line as well as Steve Farber uh, will be doing a Keep Smiling book, so we can continue to keep inspiring people. Because if you get that juice of inspiration, uh, you obviously infuse yourself with hope and that anything is possible. So it's really powerful, and I'm, I'm so proud to be associated with Eric Swanson. When is the next Habitude Warrior? I think it's in San Diego, right? It is the 25th through the 27th in San Diego, and they've got a really full lineup, so super exciting. And during that event, we'll be releasing, uh, at least showcasing, uh, when um, everybody can start getting their copies of Carlos's book, Carlos uh, Sakira. And um, uh, Tom Chesser is another new person who signed on and is super excited about doing two books, uh, one in San Antonio and one another place he hasn't decided yet. So it's really exciting how we're getting some great reach. And he has an event today, if I recall, in New Jersey. You want to give a shout-out about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, GrowthCon is going on. And uh, GrowthCon is with um, Jacob Jacoby. And it's uh, – wow, they have 300 people confirmed to be there. They've got a great lineup with a lot of our friends, uh, Jason um, Cisneros and uh, David um, – What's David's last name? Meltzer. And mm -hmm. uh, some other really cool people that we know. So they've got a really great lineup today going on um, where um, Carlos's partner um, is uh, speaking today. And also uh, Tom's client uh, is Jacob Jacoby. So they're really doing some great things out there. So thank you for letting me share that. Is there a, a site that people, I mean, that are in New Jersey? Oh, can um, oh yeah. Let me look that up. And, it's, and, uh, and I think Glenn? it's growthcon.com. Glenn is the other okay. speaker. Yes. And his well, last is name partner. is eluding me right at the moment. Okay, well, we will correct that illusion at the break. But I, <laughs> I didn't get a chance to give a shout-out to the sponsors and, of course, Keep Smiling Movement. And we will make sure that we put links from now on so you can actually go to the Keep Smiling Movement nonprofit site as well as Big Events USA and the Red Carpet Connection. So without further ado, let's bring an introduction and our first guest on. Absolutely. And since um, I have the opportunity, it's Morris, like the cat, Morris, and from those commercials years ago, Morris Growth Con, C-O-N dot com, is that event at Monroe College today with uh, Jacob Jacoby in New Jersey. And um, yeah, super fun. So we have some amazing people on today that we're super excited about. One of them uh, you may have seen or heard on radio and television. He's traveled all over the world. And that's Jay Lauren Norris. We'll call him Lauren on the show. He is an international leadership speaker, a TV host, and an author. And he worked as the director of marketing for IBN Television 
Television, which is an international Christian broadcast. And he also served as a station manager for the local Christian TV station in, in, that, in the Texas area. So before launching his career in television, he served in the U.S. Air Force as a firefighter, and he worked there more than 20 years. And he also did advertising, corporate marketing, communications, field marketing, and media uh, bartering for people like Verizon and Jobs.com and Faith and Family Magazine. So he's got a really great plethora of information and he currently hosts meet the messenger tv and tell it like it is tv and he co-hosts transforming grace with his wife karen he actively trains business government and ministry leaders in congo brazil honduras and the uk and he's trained teachers and pastors for gateway church the king's university and entrepreneurial leadership at brookhaven college so it's so exciting to have you on after spending a couple days with you jay laura norris welcome to the show Thank you very much. I'm very honored to be a part of what you guys have got going on. Well, Lauren, I got to say, you know how to pick restaurants, and we had that restaurant experience with you. Uh, what was the name of the the uh, restaurant in Dallas? Uh, Brio, the Brio, Italian I mean, Yeah, you said get the lasagna, and I was in heaven. So thank you, <laughs> mucho, uh, molto bene, molto bene. So I would like to start off, Lauren, by just saying you are a very multi-talented Renaissance. Christian man, and I was very excited not only to know you, but the more I got to know you, the more I was thinking, man, this guy is really bringing it when he goes to stage, goes to podcasts, speaks, and so congratulations on all you've accomplished. Thank you. I appreciate that. So talk to the audience about what it is to become Lauren, because a lot of people assume that when they are on our show and they're super successful, that that was kind of handed to them. And based on the conversation I had, you've overcome some really amazing stuff to be who you are. So please indulge uh, the audience with a, a nice story about who you are and, wh and where you came from. Sure. I, I appreciate that invitation. You know, I, I love the way my mentor, John Maxwell, says, um, there's no such thing as an overnight success. Most of them take about 20 years. And uh, I have to say, mine, maybe I'm a slow learner because it took a little more than 20 years to, to find anything that looked like success to me. And, and I still feel like I have a lot of growing and reaching and, and uh, accomplishing to do yet. But when I, I look back at where I started and I realized, you know, the, the two strengths that I had were family and a strong work ethic. I started my first business at seven years old, mowing lawns in the neighborhood for seven bucks a piece. I thought that was the right price because that was my age. Uh, mm. the, the challenges that I faced, though, included my mom being divorced when I was four, widowed when I was nine, I was sexually molested when I was nine, and then I grew up from nine years old until the biological age of manhood, um, the legal adult male of 18, 19 years old, with no strong male role models in my life at all. It wasn't until basic training and then my first year in the Air Force that I stumbled across a habit of reading. Um, a girl gave me a book just before I got sent off to Honduras uh, called This Present Darkness. And aside from the books I was forced to read in elementary and middle school, it was the first book I read cover to cover. And really opened my eyes to the world of spiritual warfare and what goes on in the mind and what goes on in conversations that Many people gloss over and they don't think anything about them. But the next three books that I read began to shape the who that I am today. And that was James Dobson's Bringing Up Boys. And I realized as much as I love my mom, and she's an awesome mom, moms can't bad. Um, mm -hmm. A single mom can't do what a dad can do. Then I read uh, Wild at Heart by John Eldridge, and I realized just how far off course I was trying to be a man because I'd never seen one. And then I read Becoming a Person of Influence by John Maxwell. And when I put those three together, idealistically, I see there really is a strong calling for men to be authentic, masculine men with all of the nature that was initially designed in them and to influence people around them with that in a positive way. And that's kind of become my life goal, and then I found every way, tool, and, and process to do it wrong, and now I hope I'm on the right track doing it in a little better way uh, after 25 years of marriage, trying to get some things right with four kids and eight grandkids. That's amazing. So what is your focus right now, and 
given that you went to Habitude Warrior, I guess that it's a two-part question. What is your focus now? And you went to Habitude Warrior. What did you experience there? Uh, you know, the, it's an interesting uh, caveat, if you will, that we all have a story in our head. And the story that we have in our head often corresponds to the history that we've been told as much as the history we've actually lived. Um, I'll give you an illustration of that. There's a book called uh, Early Childhood Memories. I believe it's Dr. Kevin Lehman who wrote that book. And when he talks about early childhood memories in a counseling session, he always asks the question, what's the first thing you actually remember? Not what you've heard all your life people tell you about you, but what you actually remember. And then through the course of this book, he talks about how that first experience that we can recall, the emotions, the sights, the sound, and the event, begins even at three, four, and five years old to shape this marble statue, which is our character. And for the rest of our lives, we'll walk with that story. But over the years, like the pigments and the statues in the Philadelphia Park, there are layers and layers and layers of crap just dumped on our life. And it's not until we get back to that true initial story of who we are and deal with that and cope with that that we can actually make progress. As a leader and as a storyteller, one of the things that I find myself again and again going to is hearing people's story and thinking, I wonder if they really believe that about themselves. I wonder if they really live that every day. Or is that just the story they tell because it's a great marketing pitch, because it looks good on the slogan? It makes an awesome tagline. Uh, when I'm asked to speak on branding, I always say, it's not the color, it's not the logo, it's not the slogan or the ads or, or even the size and, and scope of your business. Branding is what people say about you when you walk out of the room. Exactly. What they wouldn't say to your face, that's your brand. And so what I saw at Habitude was a lot of people who are, they're in that process. They're really trying to get a hold of the right habits and the right attitude to rebuild their life to the true, authentic self that they desire to be. When I talk to leaders, whether they're government leaders or church leaders, whether they're parents or they're teenagers, if they are still struggling to prove themselves to themselves, the way they treat other people is all kinds of jacked up. But when they're solid in who they are, when they can look in the mirror and go, I like that guy, she's a pretty cool gal then the way they treat other people is with a whole different level of respect. It's not the games and the showmanship. It's authentic. That's entirely different. So I'm going to shift the show a little bit because the what I initially wanted was for you to have a lot of freedom to go deep. And right now I want to go shorter answers so I can get a lot of these questions in because there's a lot. So first of all, you went into Toastmasters. Why did you go there and talk about your success there briefly? Sure. But I joined Toastmasters on a whim, honestly. I, I had a vision uh, while speaking to a class about vision. And in that vision, I said, I'm going to win a Toastmasters contest. When the words came out of my mouth, I didn't even know if they had them. I had never been a member of Toastmasters, but I joined. And in four months, I went from my first visit to my first uh, accomplishment of Consul Communicator. I joined the contest and went to the International Speech Contest. Um, out of 35,000 contestants, made it to the top. 82, and I went over by nine seconds and disqualified myself in the semifinals. Um, so it was an interesting run. It was an interesting journey. It gave me great cause to study some phenomenal communicators and see people from all over the world in, in that process. And that brings me to my next question, which would be, at Habitude Warrior, you got to see some fine speakers. Who was your favorite and why? See, that's kind of a trick answer for me because I really love the diversity of the women's empowerment panel. Um, I, I could have sat and listened to those ladies, uh, you know, being the son of a single mom and, and, and marrying a single mom, listening to them talk about finding their own identity and the ways that they communicate that and the ways that they live that um, was incredible for me. I could listen to that for hours. So as far as communicators are concerned, that, the diversity of that panel, I think, is tops for me. I agree. That was a fully loaded panel, and all the women that were on that panel, 
uh, speak individually, so their their powerhouses by themselves are on stage. So that was that was a great uh, response. So next question, uh, I want to ask who your favorite speakers are and why. Uh, well, I would put John Maxwell at the top of that list. Um, I knew you would. <laughs> without any question. And, and you know, I, the, the reason that I joined his team is because I, I have such a, a great deal of admiration and respect for who he is. Um, I think as far as storytellers and narrators, Maxwell Cato has to be at the top of that list. Um, and then I would say, you know, the, the classics like the Zig Ziglar's and the, the Josh McDowell's. Uh, but I think the one person that challenges me the most that I admire and wish I could be more like him is about half my age, and that's Ben Shapiro. Um, quick-witted, intelligent, well-read, very studied, and very deliberate in the way he communicates. I, I really appreciate and admire that a lot. So you talked about John Maxwell and the fact that he had shared with you some humility and that he wasn't necessarily successful in the beginning. Do you mind sharing that on the on the air? Sure. You know, it, I've heard him say it in, in various contexts. So I don't think I and in various environments, and I believe it's even on YouTube. But um, the comment that he made about when he first started writing, uh, somebody asked him, "Why do you write books? Is it because you can make a lot of money at it?" And he said, "No, I I began writing books because I realized that." no matter how many times I speak, and no matter how many people I can cram in one environment, I'm still limited to that number of people that I can influence. So I started writing books so I could influence more people and, and make them available. But honestly, some of those books, uh, well, they should be burned. And I buy them up any time that I can find them because they're that bad from my early <laughs> days of writing. And I think, you know, when you look at somebody who's now sold over hundreds of millions of copies, I, I think last I heard was in the one... 120 million copies, these close to 100 different books that have been uh, written, published on, and on the bestsellers list. So his caliber of influence is significant. When he looks back and says, you know, some of those early books, I probably should just burn them, uh, that really speaks volumes to me about realizing who you are and where you are in the timeline. Yeah, and that actually brings a great point to why there's so many failures in self-publishing our first books is that that's your practice book. That's your It's like your practice video. If you were to do your first video, you wouldn't expect it to go viral necessarily unless you had a very vulnerable story, caught a very vulnerable moment, and it just touched the world. And that's an exception to the rule. But for the most part, you are writing books, and I've, I've met many successful authors, and they've told me that even their first 20 books were practice uh, that they finally really got their groove and they got the formula and they got the, the the connection with the world at that point with an agent and and whatever else. But it's very interesting. So how many books have you written? Uh, well, I've got three that are published and out there on the market that can all be found on Amazon. Um, I have three more that are in the final stages. And uh, honestly, I submitted my very first book when I was 24 years old. And I got two rejection letters, and I quit. And it wasn't until probably five or six years later that I heard Max Lucado say, you know, I can probably show you the folder. I have 48 rejections on my number one bestseller. <laughs> Jack Canfield. Uh, exactly. Over 100 rejections on Chicken Soup for the Soul. Now it's sold hundreds of millions of copies in 50 different languages all over the world. Uh, you made a, a, a comment about failure, and I, I think it's something that, especially with young people today, uh, there's something in this attitude of entitlement that says I, I have the right to be successful and anybody that stands my way is wrong. But they also have a very short resilience pattern to that. And it's like, oh, well, I got two rejections. Okay, so, yeah, that's me at 25 years old. I, I took two rejections. and I was done, I wouldn't have published. But how many people get that second, third, or 15th rejection not knowing that the 16th is the best-selling acceptance? And so if you're writing, don't quit. Don't give up on that. Don't look at it and go, yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, I've also had publishing uh, consultants come back to me and go, okay, I read your book reluctantly because the cover really sucked and it didn't make any sense to me and it didn't target me. But I got to the end of the first chapter and I was crying my eyes out and I realized you brought up some things I really needed to address in my life. So let me give you some free tips on how you can make it better. I was like, yes, win. Uh, but I'm sad that it sucks so bad it took you three years to read it. <laughs> well, you bring up a great point because I've, I've never actually thought about it. I guess I'm having a minor epiphany right now, which is, well, it's, it's actually major from a standpoint of publishing. But 
if you're sending it out to a bunch of average publishers, they're looking at an average formula, which would give them an average response to you, which is no. And if you look at an exceptional publisher, they're looking to disrupt the publishing world. They're looking for a Jack Canfield. They're looking for someone like you. And you have to keep going with the, I guess, the pitch until you find someone that's extraordinary and that actually understands how powerful your book is, your message is, and how long you were willing to go to make it successful. Because Jack was not a, a flash in the pan, uh, Jack Canfield. He was someone that actually was going to go the distance with his vision. He needed to find a publisher that saw that. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating, too, when I talk to authors, you know, friends of mine like Thelma Wells, who's, I think she's at about 40 titles right now. She's a best-selling author. She's traveled the world, like, literally spoken on millions of stages. She bought back the rights to most of her books because various publishing companies kept moving things around on them. Uh, John Maxwell mentioned, you know, those of us who are licensed coaches, we only have certain curriculum to work with because publishers bought the rights to the books completely, so he can't even resell the right to teach the content anymore. And so you can, if you share that with somebody, you can do it for free, but you, you can't make a business out of it. And so having that right partnership with your publisher where you get great deals, you get good exposure, you understand the relationships, you know how to market the book and the business, but you also have somebody who's going to have the longevity that when you go back through your scenario, you're like, okay, I need another 10,000 of those books, they're not out of business. And right. knowing who that partnership is for long-term um, is, a, is a big, big deal. And there's another partnership to speak of. It would be your publicist if you have one. If you don't have one and you want to play a big game, that is a very smart person to hire and add to your team. Because if you think about it, Lauren, how would we have met if it wasn't for Andrea Adams Miller with the Red Carpet Connection? And I wanted to ask, before I put her on the air, how did you meet her and how did all this come about? You know, the first time uh, we connected, when I picked you guys up at the airport, we're both looking at each other going, I know we have seen each other face-to-face somewhere before, and I just can't place it. I believe it was either a James Malinchak or a Craig Duswold marketing event in Las Vegas um, or in L.A., and it would have been probably six or seven years ago because we kind of run in those same circles as far as, you know, circles of influence and, and friends and, and um, running buddies. That's the only thing that I can think, but we've had a great relationship through social media and conversations back and forth for, you know, off and on for a few years. Well, we will go ahead and bring Andre on to actually give her an opportunity to ask a question. So, Andre, are you there? Yes, I am. So, uh, yeah, we've known each other for a long time on social media, and I thought it was only through social media until we were in person again. And uh, the reason I had uh, chosen Lauren to be on the program is he was also your Facebook friend as well, Ken, and he had such an amazing presence. I knew that we should definitely have him on. So the question I have for you is, you know, you've been doing some amazing stuff traveling all over the world, and you and Ken really connected on that. What is the future for your international reach that you want to do? I actually just got a letter today from the group that I serve on the board with called USADA, which is the U.S. government, uh, U.S. Africa Government Leadership Academy. And uh, they just had new elections for the first time in close to 15 years uh, in the Congo. And so they've got a whole new parliament, and we've already got some scheduled training that's coming up for them. We're bringing some guys into um, Arkansas who will go through the house there and work with uh, Dr. Brent, who's on our team and learn about parliamentary procedure. Uh, then I'll be in uh, Nigeria for 14 days. I think it's 14 days in November, and we'll be visiting with church leaders and business leaders and entrepreneurs doing some um, marketplace ministry and leadership training there as well. And um, aside from that, our, our local project is our, our Story Power campaign, where we'll be going out and inviting other people to get on our stage and share their story um, just so they have a chance to voice their experiences. Well, I wanted to talk about your book, and since you have several, I would like to have you share a book with the audience that they should look at for having a better 2019, and maybe one or two nuggets out of that book, and how to get it. Sure. So, I, I would say that probably the most uh, universal issue that we, that we find in life is dealing with the who that we are when we look in the mirror. And the book, Live a More Excellent Life, was really about saying, 
You know, it's one thing to live in a rut where you're satisfied with what's going on, but most people don't know that content, uh, according to um, the Webster's Dictionary, has a next phase, and that is called complacency. So if you're complacent, you are content to a fault, meaning I've just reached a place in life that I'm not striving anymore. I've given up. For me, that moment happened when I confronted my mother who was scrubbing the urinals in my middle school, and I said, why are you doing this? And after a back and forth for a couple of minutes, she finally said, you know I'm a high school dropout. This is the best I'll ever do. And it hit me like a brick to the forehead. I said, Mom, there's no way my sisters and I are as intelligent as we are, and this is the best you can do. That's a lie that you've chosen to believe, and you've lived your life there because of it. And only a few months later, she, or a few days later, she graduated from college at 50 years old, went back into the public school and started teaching these kids that everybody else had given up on. So Live a More Excellent Life is a book written about the experiences that I had in my life, but learning how to navigate through the negative opinions of others, how to get past the negative opinion of myself. But I say it's the book written for those who are starting out and those who are starting over. So maybe it's after a loss of a loved one, maybe it's after a divorce, maybe it's after failing out of college and looking at life going, I, I, I can't go on from here. But that's what the book is really about, and it's about helping people find a way to step up and start over. Amazing. And thank you so much for the books. I have to say we'll probably need to have you on the show a couple more times because this was about going deep with life uh, patterns and meanings and just having the audience get to know you. And then we'll go a lot deeper into some of the principles you teach when you speak. And also, you are a coach to a lot of speakers, so I, I, we didn't get an opportunity to do that today, but we'll, we'll do it in the future. So we're going to be going to break pretty soon. How do people connect with you and get your books? Well, if you can remember my name, jlaurenorris.com uh, is the website. So it's just J-L-O-R-E-N-N-O-R-R-I-S.com. All of the books that I've published so far and the ones that I will in the future are available on Amazon. Uh, on the website, there are online courses that match each of the books. So video trainings, workshops, worksheets, uh, all that type of stuff. And then, of course, I'm available for coaching for any of those uh, for one-to-one -one or one-to-many group coaches as well. Okay, well, unfortunately, our break is coming up, and I just got a, a signal from the producer. He called me soon instead of son. He said, we are going to break soon, and I think he meant son, but he, he misspelled it. So we're going to be back in a couple minutes. Uh, again, this show is brought to you by the Keep Smiling Movement. Big Events USA and the Red Carpet Connection. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The Umbrella Syndicate amplifies good causes, good people, and good messages. They offer a suite of services that help people and businesses gain better exposure. Through working with the Umbrella Syndicate, you gain the ability to reach an audience of 50,000 unique people a week. They have recently reached over 20,000 followers on Facebook. You can view their photography and how they use it as a strong promotional tool on their Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash The Umbrella Syndicate. Show them your support by liking their page. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Amplify. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. We also would love to hear from you via email to info at umbrellasyndicate.com. Now, back to Amplify. All right, this is Ken Roshan with Amplified on Voice America. So excited to be in another show with dynamic people who are changing the world. I want to bring Andrea back on to introduce our next guest, Brian Stevens. 
Brian Stevens serves as CEO for the Extreme Leadership Institute, founded by Steve Farber. Telly is an organization devoted to changing the world through the development of extreme leaders in business and beyond. Stevens met Farber when he presented at a Marco's Pizza convention. Uh, Stevens is the one who presented and said that Telly is the ideal progression to take his passion for building entrepreneurs and helping their businesses succeed. Stevens also served as president and chief operating officer for Marcos Pizza, and in his tenure, which he still serves as a strategic advisor, he has helped grow the number of stores from 123 to upwards of 900, expanding the brand internationally. Also, system-wide sales increased to 65, or excuse me, 6 150 million annually. That's a big difference in uh, in, uh, in money, along with increasing unit profitability. Previously, he spent 22 years leading the development teams at Yum Brands Incorporated, Yorkshire Global Restaurants, the parent company of A&W, KFC, Pizza Hut, Taco Bell, and Long John Silvers. And he has some other fun secrets in store that we'll share. So welcome to the show, Brian. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So Brian, do you like fast food or what i mean pizza hut taco bell long john silvers i mean that is some yummy food there and kfc of course i like it all that's for sure <laughs> well i have to say i have a small addiction for that that lovely uh deep fry they do at long john silvers so send me some coupons baby <laughs> so brian you got to hear uh lauren speak in the first segment any reaction you'd like to share well, you know, I was amazed uh, by Lauren and all of his accomplishments, the books and all the work with different uh, organizations. And so I, I really was in awe of him. But I will say this. The one thing that made me in awe of him more than anything is that he put his faith and his relationship with Jesus Christ and God out front in all of that. And to me, that was the most amazing thing about a very amazing man. So I applaud him for that because so often, especially in business, people hide that. They, they, they don't put their Christianity, their faith, and the way they believe and what God does for them and who it makes them. Uh, and so uh, it's really important when we see somebody who brings that right out front and starts off by saying, that's who I am. So that was what I appreciated most. So kudos to him. Well, thank you for sharing that, Brian. And we're going to be back in Dallas, and Lauren's bringing a lot of his Christian leaders and influencers to a, a, a Mixer event where we're going to photograph them and turn it into a Keep Smiling uh, book for Dallas as well as one for leaders and influencers. So I am, uh, first of all, thankful that you didn't put your call on mute because we have had the worst shows ever when our guests are on mute and we're just like asking questions and they can't answer. So thank you, first of all, for unmuting yourself. <laughs> You're very welcome. So you shared your story on stage at uh, Extreme Leadership uh, at with Steve Farber, and that's when I knew I wanted you on the show because people that overcome really whatever they want to overcome get the life they want and the life they love. So two parts of this. One is if you'd please share your journey of where you started, what gave you the, the juice, so to speak, or inspiration to be who you are, and a couple examples where you were thrown an, an opportunity and you seized it and hit a home run and go for it. Go, go deep if you want. Yeah. Well, you know, um, it's, it's funny because I, I've heard and I get a lot of feedback on the story and I, I never thought of the story as being, being one that people would want to listen to because I sort of hid from my past, uh, many, many years of my corporate career. And the reason for that is that, uh, most of the people I worked with, when I'd get hired by companies, everybody started comparing resumes and they wanted to talk about their college educations and where they went to school and fraternities and clubs and organizations they were in. And I didn't have that background. Uh, I started out in life, uh, came from a very, uh, modest uh, blue-collar family. Uh, my father had actually uh, grown up in an orphanage, uh, and so he had no college education. Uh, but he was a Christian man, and my mother, she worked hard, worked two, three jobs. And uh, uh, so we didn't have a lot of financial uh, means, and I wasn't really somebody who was ever earmarked to go to college. My father sort of thought people who went to college, he called them fancy dans, actually. And so I didn't want to be one of those in my father's eyes. So I was, uh, you know, kind of tutored to go into uh, get a job in a, in a local factory and uh, take care of your family and you work hard and you, you, you know, you bring honor to yourself that way. And so I went into a factory uh, world uh, right out of high school and uh, was doing well, but uh, factory went on strike 
about three years after I began there, and I had bills and uh, things I had to pay for because I had uh, been living a pretty good life. I had a house and vehicles and things, and at 21 years of age, thought life doesn't get any better. And so I realized what strike would do to somebody. Now, this was the early 80s, and I had no education. I had no real skills, and there weren't a lot of jobs. And uh, I had to uh, go out and find a job to make sure I could continue to pay the payments I had on these things. And the only job that I could find was dishwasher at a local Holiday Inn. And, uh, you know, I wasn't real excited about that. And I remember going and sitting down with my father right before I left to go to the job the first time. And I was lamenting my plight in life and saying, you know, I should have went to school. I should have done this. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to be a dishwasher. And my father said to me, he said, you know, Brian, I thought I taught you better than that. He says, a man doesn't get honor from what he does in life, he gets honor from how he does what he does. He says, besides the only job I know you can start at the top is digging holes, and if you don't want to dig holes for a living, I suggest you go out there and be the best dishwasher they've ever had and see where that takes you. And I was very blessed. Um, uh, I did just that. I went out, and instead of uh, thinking, uh, kicking dirt and saying, you know, this is a bad job and not really enjoying it, I embraced the job, and I decided to be the best there could be at that. And it was just within a short period of time, one of the owners of that Holiday Inn said to me, he looked at me and kind of smiled and he shook his head and he said, you're not like any dishwasher I've ever had before. And uh, in my brash 21-year-old way, I said, that's because I'm really not like any dishwasher you've ever had. And (laughs) shortly thereafter, he tapped me on the shoulder and gave me an opportunity. He said, I want to offer you a job in management with my company. And that was a changing uh, event in my life because I never thought of myself as a manager. I always thought of someone who was going to work for a manager and have to you know, work under a manager. And I began to believe that if I could go from dishwasher to manager, that anything was possible. And I always took my father's teaching of always be the best you can be at anything you do in life and see where that takes you. And so, once again, been blessed. My career blossomed. I've had great opportunities to work with great people, been mentored by a number of great people kept a voracious appetite for reading and learning and, and, and trying to always develop myself. But, you know, along the way, I used to say, well, I'm, I'm really good when I was young. I thought, I'm really good, and that's why I have the success. At other times, I began to realize I was good and lucky. And then when you've had the life I've had looking back on a 40-year career, I realized that God was with me all the way, and I realized I've been blessed uh, because it goes better and further than being just good and, and being, you know, lucky. I realize I've been blessed, and I want to make sure I'm paying that forward to people along the way. And that's actually an amazing segue I was hoping for with regard to something that impressed me so much about you, Brian. When Ken Courtright was at the event um, and inspired Steve Farber to allow him on stage to do something for the Corn Brothers, um, I got to see you as the person who gives back, the person who believes in family and believes in fatherhood. Would you care to share that experience about the the painting and what you were feeling at that time? Um, You know, when we were sitting there and they were having this auction for this painting, um, it struck me that we could all have our ability to bid on a particular painting that was going up for auction and somebody lucky could take that painting home or we could all bid on that painting and donate that painting to the Extreme Leadership Institute and then have that go around like the Stanley Cup goes around and have that hang in different businesses that have earned the right to be called these extreme businesses with extreme leaders who are going out to make a difference in the world. And it was just a moment where everybody began to understand the impact we could have, and we decided to donate the funds of that to the Corn Brothers' uh, young son, who has actually been born with some debilitating uh, impact to his life and is going to need some medical care, some significant medical care for years. And so it was just amazing to see how instead of us, you know, all trying to out-negotiate and outbid one another, to going ahead and really putting that into play and having that the benefit of everybody bidding on that and then donating that back uh, could be really something huge. So it was a, a good uh, outcome. We generated a lot of money uh, for a great, great cause, and uh, just very happy to be a part of that. Yes, and I mean, it, it was a lot of money in a very short period of time, and I, I think it was around $90,000 they had done on a fund, uh, GoFundMe for their child who needed a lot of attention. And in 
roughly 15 short minutes, it went up about 40,000. And Ken Corey with the income store had uh, generated and inspired so many people to make that difference. And I was so moved by that because I was supposed to be at another event. And I think God called me to stay there and experience that because so much can happen in a short time with great people and great leadership and great uh, inspiration. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you got to share your point of view because I was looking over and Ken Courtright had said to you, you have children, uh, what are their birthdays? And you were thinking about your experience of being a father. And I think that touched you probably the most to be so giving and to come up with this brilliant idea. Yeah, it was, uh, it was just something that needed done. And, uh, you know, you put yourself in the shoes of others, uh, and you'll find that, uh, empathy, uh, that's been placed in us works well and it causes us to do what we should be doing. And, uh, so it was just a great opportunity. So for those of you who have heard Extreme Leadership Institute, they have amazing events to help you call yourself to be a, a bigger and better leader, and they have the Extreme Leadership Experience that happens uh, at the beginning of every year. Something not to miss, even if you have leadership ability and skills and you are at a level that you're happy with, I can guarantee you this experience puts you in a very beautiful community that really causes leaders to look at leading with love. And Steve Farber's new book... Um, can you give me the title? I, I, I don't want to butcher it. Da- love, is damn good be, love is just damn good yeah, business. Love is just yeah. damn good business. Yes, and I'm so excited for that book. And Steve has put out a tremendous amount of great content and books. And everyone that's in that event uh, has read their book, uh, read his book and actually furthered themselves as a leader and as a person who's making a contribution to the world. So I wanted to move to your experience as Undercover Boss because I don't, I don't think I've ever had anyone on the show that has that story to share. So what was that like for you? Well, it was a, a great honor to be able to, first of all, represent the brand that I had worked so hard with. And we'd all, you know, done great things to take this brand from 100 stores to uh, nearly 900 stores. And to be the person asked to uh, represent the company in that way was a huge honor. Um, the other parts of it was it gave me a great uh, opportunity to see behind the scenes uh, of the company that I worked at every day and see things that I wouldn't necessarily see. Uh, because when you walk in a company as president and chief operating officer and you walk in local stores, you see a different sense and a different side of things. And um, our earlier speaker talked about when you can be authentic. And so sometimes you, there's this not a, an ability to be authentic when you're in there because you're seeing what people want you to see. But under the, uh, the guise of being on the undercover boss, I was actually getting to meet people and see things about our organization and hear things about our company that I wouldn't necessarily have been able to hear. I was also able to meet people at a completely different level um, from the standpoint of their personal journey and what they go through on a daily basis, but still show up every day in our stores to make pizzas and sandwiches and, you know, chicken wings and, and to hear those stories. And I was so inspired by some of those people and then to ultimately be able to give back to them, to make a true difference in their life. Sometimes, you know, we employ people, but, you know, that doesn't get there, be able to make that complete true difference in their life. And being on the show and knowing that we had this opportunity to give back to a few members of our team to make that complete difference in their lives, that was so impactful because that becomes, becomes a genesis and a thought process for how do we do that more often with everybody we come in contact with. So you've, I want to make sure people can see that show. So if you can give a reference, it was Marco's Pizza that you were working um, as a president at that time, and you were the undercover boss for that company. And what was, if you want to give a shout out to specifically the person or what you learned in that experience, that would be great. Well, um, you know, we had a number of people uh, that were on the show uh, with me. Uh, this show aired uh Three years ago, it has come out in reruns. It's being ran uh, fairly consistently now. But we learned a, a number of things about the individual people. We learned things about the brand. And we made a lot of changes to our supply chain and things we were doing there to create more safety and more uh, opportunities for people who actually are in our distribution channel to have a better quality of life. Uh, we learned things about the marketing of our brand that uh, we hadn't heard from our franchise communities, and we made a difference in those things. And we also, I was able to see and meet young people that reminded me of me when I was that dishwasher. They were working on the front lines, and we were able to take and 
move them forward and, and give them opportunities to step up and, and see the benefits of that. So it was just encouraging all the way around to be able to touch their lives and to learn things and make changes to our brand that we're going to impact everyone. It, it seems like it's a must-do experience for any boss almost at any level to be undercover and get to know who they're working with or who's working for them so that they can not only make that difference but have that difference made for them. I think it is. I think one of the lasting uh, elements that came out of this for us is that as a company, uh, we started a nonprofit fund that we could all donate money into. Employees put money into this from their paychecks from around the country. We have 15,000 employees in the country, and a good portion of them donate small amounts to that, but it adds up quickly. And what we do with that fund is we make a difference in the people's lives. So we know now we've got people out there that could be hurting in their life. They might have a sick child that needs medical care and they need to take time off work and have the money to be able to do that. And we do little events like that and things like that now for many of our members, uh, as opposed to just touching two or three lives because of the show, we are now making a difference in people's lives as we have a lot of need and uh, everybody in Marcos then contributes to that fund and, and el- helps make the, you know, different people's lives better when they're in need because we are looking at this as, you know, one family, the Marcos family. Yes, and I want to make sure we have enough time to talk about how I have met you. So it was Extreme Leadership, two years in a row, Steve Farber's vision. Tell me uh, who Steve Farber is to you, uh, briefly how you met Well, I said earlier, I'm an avid reader, and uh, my uh, sister-in-law wrote me and said, I think you would enjoy this book, and the book was called The Radical Leap. It was a small parable uh, of business, and it was so well done, and the platform in The Radical Leap, Leap stands for Love, Energy, Audacity, and Proof, and he talked about cultivating love in the workplace and cultivating love. It's not the fuzziness of love, but it's about loving what you do, having your mission be such that people can align around that mission, having your business have a purpose and having everybody then generating from this emanating from this position of love. And when we love what we do, energy then is the next piece of that. We have far more energy. We know that in business today that Uh, engagement levels, 70% of people self-identify with being either not engaged or barely engaged. And that's been the same for decades, even with all the leadership and, and, and all the personal development courses out there. And so love generates energy. Then energy allows us to think big. We can be audacious in our planning. We can make big plans and big goals and have the energy to go after those. And then the P, the proof, is about us all being accountable and doing what we say we'll do. And so when you have that platform in place. When I read it, I said, oh, that's exactly what we need. And it was so simple. And so I read the book. And then after we started growing, we had the ability to start having guest speakers that we could bring in. And so one of the first guest speakers that I wanted to have come and present to our conference at Marco's Pizza was Steve Farber. I met Steve and uh, he presented at our conference. I became certified in his body of work and then ultimately became the CEO of the Extreme Leadership Institute with him. And uh, it was just great to be able to go out and teach people how to be extreme leaders so that they can achieve radical results because this isn't about anything other than helping them get the the results they want to get out of their life. Beautiful. We're going to go to rapid fire right now, Ryan, and just like the first segment, it runs out too quickly. So we're going to go to really quick questions, really quick answers. And since your name starts with B, we will start with you. Uh, Besides Radical Leap, what is the book that changed your life? Lead for God's sake. Bye. It's by uh, Kyle, I believe it is, uh, Donger, D-O-N-G-E-R. And Lauren, uh, I'm assuming you're there. What book changed your life? Yes. Uh, Besides the three that I mentioned, John Maxwell, I would say it would be Leadership Gold by John Maxwell. Okay. Uh, Andrea? And uh, is there a specific uh, charity that you guys want to be affiliated with in the future that maybe you have already been with or want to do in the future? Well, for me, it's St. Jude's and Mark. St. Jude's and then Marco's. I, you know, Marco's and what we do there is important, but St. Jude's is my second. Lauren? My daughter's life was saved by the uh, Children's Hospital in Little Rock, and uh, she now works there, so... We do a lot of support for that aspect as well. 
Okay, uh, Brian, uh, in your words, define leadership. Well, leadership is not really about a bunch of traits and characteristics. It's about achieving results and making a difference, a positive difference in the world. Lauren? I'll quote John Maxwell, leadership, it's influence, nothing more and nothing less. Andrea? Uh, do you have a, a song or a mantra that gets you motivated when things are feeling a little flat? Brian? No song, but I do have my daily devotionals, and so they keep me well-grounded and pick me up and make me realize that uh, you know God's the center of all of my life, and uh, so I, I rely on that more than a song. Awesome. Lauren? Lauren? Uh, I am who he says I am. So this is a very, very quick two-part. So favorite place you've been and a marketing, I mean a traveling tip. Brian? Anchorage, Alaska, it's absolutely beautiful and uh, packed for warm, packed for uh, colder weather than you expect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lauren, the traveler. <laughs> uh, Rio de Janeiro and uh, up Brazil. You know, I got to see quite a bit of Brazil. It was beautiful. But um, traveling tip is don't leave your cell phone in the holster on your hip. It may be only worth a few hundred bucks to you, but it's a, it's a year's worth of income for a pickpocket on the street. So I carried mine in my boxer shorts to make sure that it stayed with me the whole time. I love that story. <laughs> All right, Andrea. Um, what did you want to be when you were, when you were a little boy? Brian? An NBA basketball player, but uh, at six, two, I, I didn't quite make that. <laughs> Lauren. Uh, I remember the worst scolding I ever got was when somebody asked me that question, and I told John Maxwell on the phone that I wanted to be the next James Dobson, and he chewed me out. He said, don't you dare be the next James Dobson. Writing and speaking is awesome, but we already have a James Dobson. We need the best boring you can be. Nice. All right, final question, a quote you live by. Brian? Uh, the quote I live by would be uh, one from Johann von Gogh, and his quote was, treat people as if they were what they ought to be, and you will help them become what they are capable of becoming. Wow. Lauren? I, I like that one. I'm going to steal that one. Uh, I would <laughs> say mine is one that was, it was given to me when I was 20, um, and it was, nothing has the power to change your life like a word that rings forever in your heart. Beautiful. I have had just an amazing time speaking to both of you, and thank you so much for spending an hour, and we're going to connect you guys if you're not already connected. So you both have been amplified. Thank you, Lauren Norris and Brian Stevens, for spending an hour with us, and this show has been brought to you by Big Events USA, the Keep Smiling Movement, and of course, the Red Carpet Connection. This is Ken Rashawn on Voice America Influencer Channel. We'll be back next week. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your hearts. Thank you. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of Amplified. Be sure to join Ken Rashad again next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Now, go get your message heard.